Good morning. Good to see everyone. Wow. Every time I, I come back from a break, you get better looking. So I don't know. I don't know what that's all about, but I appreciate you putting in all the time, effort, and money uh, in order to look as good as you do. I appreciate that. Uh, a couple things that we need to go through today is that I wanted to begin by sharing a little bit in this year of identity uh, about who we are as a people, as I've been talking a little bit more about as a family, things that we value, things that we think we want to encourage, stuff we want to discourage. And so I want to begin just by talking about how we are as a family in terms of the issue of trusting God. So I'm just going to read through a statement and then make a couple comments, and then we will dive into the main message for today. But let me just read this statement. If you agree, of course, you're allowed to, you're allowed to amen. That's okay uh, as I kind of go through it. Uh, so let me just share this. We are a church at Bridgeway that trusts that God wants the best for his children. Amen? amen. We highly prize walking by faith and not by sight. We seek to know him more and more every day so that we can more deeply trust his character, his truth, and his promises. We believe that if God asks us to do something or to avoid something, it's for our best interest. We believe that he is a good father. Amen? We believe that obedience to our Lord is our mandate, whether we fully understand or even if we fully agree at the time. And we trust that although it may not make sense right now, God knows what he's doing and he's better at running our lives than we are. Amen? Amen. All right. God can be trusted. If I say that phrase to you and there's a bit of a hiccup in your spirit, we have some work to do. Because for some of us, when I say God can be trusted, you immediately think of something in your life that you said, I could not trust him for that. I used to trust God until I lost so-and-so. I used to trust God until my marriage fell apart. I used to trust God until what? You fill in the blank. Because some of us, we have these triggers about something that happened in the past that we assume that God was going to get us through that or will help us avoid that, and he didn't. And we have trust issues ever after. We need to do some deep work. And this is what I'm hoping from this series is that we would dive down into the emotional parts of our belief systems so that we can feel instinctually truth as opposed to simply thinking one thing and living out another. Right. So I want to dig down into that stuff, but that's never going to happen unless all of us collectively are willing to open up our spirits for the Lord to do some work. And at first we need to acknowledge there are some things that are out of alignment in our hearts. And one of those is trusting our God is good. One of the most insidious and brutal temptations of the enemy is to make us distrust the goodness of our God. The whole reason why Eve fell in the Garden of Eden was that he convinced her God was holding out on her, that, he, that God was not concerned about what she was concerned about, that God would not want the best for her, that, that God in somehow had something he was reserving back from her. And she fell. The same thing is happening today. 
Because the minute you disbelieve that God is good or God wants the best for you, then he is no longer trustworthy. The minute he is no longer trustworthy, he is merely an option of an opinion. God cannot be an option of an opinion. God must be the opinion. So deep down, we say we trust God, but you wouldn't know that unless it was tested. And then when it's tested, many of us don't pass that test. I would, it would probably unnerve all of us if we were truly to find out how close we are to bailing on our faith at any moment. If I was to tell you the unique scenario, and Satan knows how to push your buttons. If I was to tell you the unique scenario he could bring in, and boom, you're out of the church, you're out of Christianity. He knows that. The only reason he's not pushing that button right now is the restraining hand of the Holy Spirit. But wouldn't it be good... If we began to do some work on the health of our internal identity so Satan doesn't have such an easy shot. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that we're going to fix everything. It's that we need to do the identity work. And this year of identity is all about this. We finished the Ecclesiastes series. We're about to launch into a brand new series. But wouldn't it be wonderful if inside we were a bit more aligned and solid in the truth of God? Than we are today. That's what I'm trying to shoot for. Are you willing to go on that journey with me? Amen. Amen. All right, fantastic. Praise God. So we are launching a brand new series today called Fully Known. It's a walk line by line through the book of Galatians. If you have not been through the book of Galatians in this church, then you have not been here since the year 2000. So the last time I taught this, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 15 and a half, was in the womb. So some of you, even if you've been here a really long time, you're going to be like, book of Galatians, where did that come from, right? Because you haven't even heard it taught in this church. Well, if you haven't been here over 15 years, you would not have remembered that. So we are going to be going through line by line, and Galatians is one of the most beautiful books about identity. It has been said that the book of Romans is a long, further detailed treatise on what is dropped in Galatians. So we're going to go through this and we're going to talk about Paul's identity and Christ's identity and our identity and begin to talk about all that stuff. So let me remind you, our identity is who we believe ourselves to be. That influences everything we think and everything that we do. If you believe yourself to be worthless, you are going to behave in a certain way. If you believe yourself to be a bigger deal than everyone else, you're going to act in a certain way. If you believe that God is loving you and God is chasing after you, then you'll respond a certain way. If you believe that God is removed and distant, you'll act a certain way. Our identities inform everything that we do. And I need you to know the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you that was handed to you at the front door. Because this is critical. It's this. Our identity is constantly under attack. Our identity is constantly under attack 
There are influences constantly telling us who we should be, what we should be about, what we should be interested in. There are influences coming both from the inside and from the outside, both from the world, the flesh, the devil, right? I mean, that's kind of what's going after us. And they are trying to unseat what Jesus said is true about us. If Jesus said you are valuable enough for me to come into your world and die for you, that is fact and truth. But then the rest of the world comes in and says you are not good enough because of X. Those are contrary. And either you're going to cling in faith to what God says about you is true or you're going to let the world re-rack you. That is why we must remain firmly entrenched in what God says about us and not let other people mess with that, right? But some of us are not yet at the place where we know what God has said about us, and therefore we have to discover that as well. So I hope that a lot of that comes through this series. Would you take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians? It's not a, it's not a long book. Some scholars believe this is the first letter ever written by Paul, which... There is, I I don't know how many of you remember the fact that Paul's writings were written before the Gospels. Uh, And so it's one of the earliest writings. Some people believe that this is the first uh, time that the Gospel was ever declared in the same way in writing that we have. So we're going way back. Now it was written approximately A.D. 48 to 50. They They don't know for sure. But it's written by a man named Paul. And this is where we begin. Let's just read the first verse. There's a ton in one verse. And then we're going to go through verses 1 through 10 this morning. All right? We ready to do this? It says this. He said, hey, my name's Paul. I'm an apostle. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Stop just right there. You got all kinds of stuff. Do you see it? He said, my name is Paul. Is that his born name? No, his born name, what his mom called him, was Saul. And he grew up in a town in southern modern-day Turkey uh, called Tarsus. Um, if, if you are bad at geography, that makes you American. Okay, so let me, let me go ahead and, and help you out. There are other places in the world other than America. So if we're all looking at a map, right, and, and basically you have the huge continent of Asia, and then you have the continent of Europe, right where they kiss, boom, that's Turkey. Turkey and Greece touch each other, and they kind of curve around. That's where you think about all the Greek isles and everything. So Turkey is really the area of Galatia, part of that, as well as the southern part of it is kind of Paul's birthplace. So Galatia, the region he's writing to, is just up and to the left from where he was born. Or we would call it, uh, what, northwest from where he's at. It is believed that Paul was born approximately A.D. 9. So he's about 10 years younger than Jesus. All right? So if we're going to just try to figure out, well, Jesus is already gone. Paul's doing his own thing. How old is this guy? It's about 10 years Uh, younger than jesus so there's not a huge discrepancy there but jesus has already gone into glory all right we go back to this paul not his original name now some scholars would say the reason he's using that name is simply practical 
It's kind of like the Roman version of Saul. It's kind of like the Greek version. It, it's in an international culture. If you're not going to come from a Jewish standpoint, you don't use Saul. That's kind of more of a Jewish thing. You want to use Paul. And maybe it is simply as practical as that. I don't think so. I think whether consciously or unconsciously, the fact that he is identifying himself as Paul is a huge deal because his life used to be all Jewish all the time. Yeah. He was raised not just as a solid Jewish boy. He went and trained with the best. So most of you know the story of Paul. Let me just bring the rest of us up to speed. Paul was a Jew's Jew. I mean, this guy was up to the point of a Pharisee. He was hardcore. He was absolutely pure in all ritual senses. He was brilliant at religion. He was brilliant at education. And so he was the top elite. And he was so hardcore for Judaism, he then ended up becoming the guy that busts and imprisons Christians. Why? Because there's this brand new sect that shows up with a guy named Jesus Christ who claims to be the Jewish Messiah, which the majority of Jews did not accept, and they thought that's bogus. He's not the right guy. Paul was one of those, or Saul was one of those. And so when this movement of Christianity starts, it's wrecking Judaism in his mind. So he's going to do everything to protect the name of God, to protect the reputation of God. And so he vehemently begins to start throwing them in jail and busting them and persecuting them and allowing them to die on his watch. That's his world. So he should have been Saul, the Jewish guy. That should have been his identity. But one day something happened. His testimony is perhaps the most well-known and famous Christian testimony in all the world. One day he's walking onto another attack in a town called Damascus. And as he's walking on the road, Jesus shows up. I'm not going to go into all the details, but Jesus says, you're not on my team. Now, if your whole life is based on following God and being extreme for God, and God says you're on the wrong team, you've got a huge identity issue right there, right? Your whole world just got re-racked. Everything you're doing is now wrong. What do you do with that? I mean, in one moment, everything flip-flopped for him. And his whole identity had to shift, and he had to figure out, who am I then? Jesus blinded him until another man could come in and pray over him. He received the Holy Spirit. He received his sight, and he started out on a new journey. The fact that he's calling himself Paul is a big indicator that his new calling was to reach non-Jews. That's crazy. He doesn't want to hang out with non-Jews. He hates non-Jews. This whole point is like, man, I'm Jewish through and through. The last thing I want to do is hang out with a bunch of yahoos that aren't Jewish. And Jesus said, yeah, that's your whole ministry. You're now the dude for the non-Jew. You know what I'm saying? That's his new title. So I, I just want to ask you this. What type of of shift had to go on in his mind and his heart to embrace that change. Okay, so let's make it personal. Uh, many of you are believers. What was that shift like? Now, for some of you, you grew up in a super moral home and you were super nice and then your parents are Christians. And, and so when you became a Christian, it was no big deal. That was kind of like my story, right? You became a Christian and they were like, eh, whatever. There are others of you 
your whole family's still not convinced and it's been 20 years right they're like i still can't believe you are a christian like of all people and it's so hard for them to wrap their mind around because you used to be the liar, the manipulator. You used to be the womanizer. You used to be whatever. You were this person. You were the gangbanger. You were the druggie. You were the, the dealer. You were the whatever it was. And people cannot wrap their minds around the idea that you're not that anymore. So, so how did that go for you? You went from selfish man or selfish woman to God-centered. How did that transition work for you? Because that's what we all must go through, is an identity shift and transference into being a child of God, right? The Bible says that he takes us from the kingdom of darkness and puts us in the kingdom of light. It says that that which was dead spiritually within us is awakened, and we become brand new. There's all these incredible changes in a conversion process. How's that going for you? Well, I'm kind of quasi. Actually, you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. So you actually had a flip and you're just trying to learn what that means. You're trying to unpack this massive gift that was laid on the front porch. And you're trying to look at what's in the box, right? I mean, you're like, whoa, I got salvation. Sweet, right? That's what I totally wanted. And then you look in, you're like, there's more in the box. And so you're all excited and you're throwing stuff out and you get so excited, you didn't throw out some important stuff, and there's, you should have paid attention to it, but there was more exciting stuff down below. So a lot of our lives is really just trying to figure out what's all in the box that God gave us. All right. Then he says this other phrase and drops a bomb. He said, my name is Paul. I'm an apostle. Now, this is a tricky word because it has a whole bunch of meanings. It morphed. It started out by simply meaning one sent out, an ambassador. Somebody sent out and commissioned with full authority. Uh, so if you're an ambassador for a nation, same concept. You speak on behalf of the nation, all that stuff. We've all talked about that. But when Jesus comes to earth, he had a whole bunch of disciples. He had hundreds of disciples. He selects out 12 of them and says, you guys are in charge. And he specifically empowers them to be the authority on his behalf. That's who became the apostles. So it all, of a sudden, it all of a sudden shifted kind of a view from generally sent out ones to these 12. Now, we all remember one of them messed up, right? And they had to replace that guy. There was a bad egg in the dozen. You know what I'm saying? So they, they switched out that egg and put a new guy in. Now... Paul comes in and he goes, yeah, I'm the 13th egg. I'm actually a baker's dozen. You all know what I mean? So he's a donut. So he shifts in and he's like, yeah, I'm like they are. Now, a lot of people are not going to accept that. They go, no, 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 you're not. And here's why you're not. Because we allowed those guys to be a special super team because Jesus personally in the flesh told them you are empowered. They had all kinds of super gifting and anointing and massive miracles. And, and so these guys are legit as the authority of Christianity because Jesus told them so. And Paul goes, yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying I am. See, he came to me physically too. I didn't happen to be in Jerusalem. I happened to be on my way to Damascus, but he showed up physically to me and commissioned me personally. And if you want to talk about miracles, hands down, I will knock those guys out. 
my handkerchiefs heal people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, I mean, he's like, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm legit. I'm full apostle. They're like, but you're not one of the 12. He said, who said that it's limited to 12? Okay, well, from that point on, the, the whole term starts to morph. It starts morphing into an office. So Paul in his writings will go, you know the apostle Barnabas. And they're like, wait, wait, what? And then he goes, oh, you know the apostle. And he'll start mentioning other people are apostles. And then over time, it morphs into a, a role or a function. Okay, so, but I want to just say that when he says it, he means in every sense of the word, he's an apostle. So who's willing to accept that? And how did that identity shift go? Do you remember how everyone accepted him at the beginning? Nobody wanted anything to do with this guy. Why? Because he's dangerous. When you have a guy who infiltrates and tries to uproot and destroy the church and suddenly he's like, no, I'm on the team. I don't care what you did. I don't want you near me. And they wouldn't even hang out with him until someone they trusted, a guy named Barnabas, said, no, he's legit, you guys. I checked him out. So nobody even wanted him around. So talk about an identity problem that he's going, I used to be all hardcore this way. I'm done a complete 180, and I'm all hardcore this way. Paul doesn't do anything halfway, right? I mean, he's all in. You want to talk about a Bible thumper? You want to talk about somebody that's over the top? That's Paul. Who's willing to watch that shift and deal with that shift? No way. So how about you? Let's say in your own family. Let's say that God opens up a new gifting for you. Let's say you start operating in a spiritual gift that you're not used to. Let's say that God whispers to you and says, hey, I need you to start teaching, or I need you to start discipling, or I need you to start praying for healing, or I need you to do that. What if God does that? How much is everybody else going to freak out on you? They're like, you don't do that. And they don't even respect that because they can't wrap their minds around it. That's what Paul had to deal with, right? He said, but here's the deal, guys. I'm not an apostle because I wanted to be. I'm not an apostle because I tried to be. I didn't go to Bible college I didn't, for that. I didn't do any of that. Stuff. Here's the deal. I'm an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, my identity was shifted because of heavenly reasons. Now, here's what's so powerful about it. No matter how well-meaning, if a person has helped shape your identity, then a person can wreck it. Y'all following me? If God shapes your identity, then a person can't wreck it. And the problem is, is that people, even well-meaning people, are messing with your identity all the time. We need an identity that's untouchable. That means it has to be based in the heavenlies where no one can mess with it. It means that we need to be able to be based biblically so that even when the enemy tries to attack, we have a response, right? Where he'll go, you do know you're going to hell. And you're like, no, hold up. Yeah, you're right. My, honestly, I have enough self-doubt. I probably think I'm going to hell. But the Bible says I'm not. So, <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, it, it, that, that was theological. But you know what I'm saying? I hate to be so highbrow when I'm talking to you, but... Let's go to verse 2. Paul says, hey, it's me, Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm writing to you along with all the brothers who are with me uh, in ministry. This is my crew. We're all in community. Real quick, how hard is it for a minority group to maintain their culture in another dominant culture? And you go, well, where did you make that jump? Well, hold up. Let me ask you this. Are on-fire Christians the majority in the world? 
No, then you're a minority. There you go. That's it. You are not the majority, and therefore you don't get to dictate your culture. You dictate your personal culture, but you don't dictate popular culture. Somebody else does that. So how hard is it? Let's say that we're talking about any other minority in the world. How hard is it to hang on to your own culture when everything around you, what is cool, what is shown in advertising, what is talked about, what is uh, appreciated, when all that's different than your culture, how hard is it for you to hang on to your culture? All right, Christians do the same thing. And even stuff that's not even religious. Let's say, for example, you grew up in a sports family. And everything was competition. You push yourself to the limit. You go, everyone was always talking about what ribbons they won. And, and so really you were always in the mindset of competition and sports. And then one day you blew out your knee in college. You got married and you don't do a lot of sports now. And you think, wow, I don't even think the same way as I used to think. I used to be surrounded by that stuff. And now it's not even a part of my life. Okay, my purpose in saying all of this is that as Christians, we are not the majority running popular culture. Therefore, if we try to do this alone, we're going to lose our identity. We have to have each other. We have to have other people around us going, yeah, 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 I'm into Jesus too. Yeah, I think that's truth too. Why? Because we're very atmospheric beings and you will become like the people you hang out with, right? And so we need to make sure that we are consistently in the community of believers. Because we need someone else where we can bounce it off everybody else and we don't always feel like the idiot. We don't always feel like the only one, you know, we don't feel like we're the odd man out. That we need to have other people where you go, man, I'm really struggling in my prayer life and somebody else can go, absolutely, I get it. How about we partner together and try to figure this one out? As opposed to saying, hey, I'm struggling in my prayer life and everyone goes quiet in the room. Like, I don't got one. What are you talking about? We have to have other people to help us create and maintain a culture of Christianity, right? I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm saying you lose your mojo. You lose your power. You lose your passion. You lose your energy. You lose your excitement. You lose your ability to track. I mean, any time that we're alone for too long, our culture starts to slip in our minds, right? Okay, let's keep moving. He said, so all of us in our crew, I hang out with other Christian brothers, he said, we're writing you a letter and we're writing to the churches of Galatia. Once again, modern day Turkey. There's a big debate about where Galatia really is and no one cares. Let's move on. <laughs> Verse three. I am here as your pastor to protect you from boring Christian information. All right. <laughs> it's my gift. All right, here we go. <laughs> Verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Yeah, 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 that's a normal intro to a letter, you'd say. Ah, but why those words? Now, he's Jewish, so it's not just peace, it's shalom, yeah? I mean, we've talked about that. Shalom is not just absence of problems, but it's the presence of all God's love and power in your life. That's a cool word. So here's what he said. Hey, I want to make sure that from God you have grace, and if you have God's grace, it's going to result in God's peace. So let me just ask you this. 
do you have inner peace? If not, why not? So, for example, with my struggles historically with anxiety, there's something wrong at the core that causes the manifestation of anxiety, right? I mean, that there's something askew that allows me to freak out about certain things. So it, as opposed to someone telling me, you don't need to freak out about that, we actually have to go back into the core issue to figure out what's going on. And some of that's handled through meds, some of that's handled through counseling, some of that's handled. But the point is, there's something askew in deep down. There's a belief system that's wrong. And, and so all I'm trying to say is that for Christians, we have to lock into grace, and then there will be resulting ramifications or consequences of that. And one of those is, is peace. It's supposed to be that way. It, it's the root and the fruit, yeah? As opposed to reversing the process. Uh, he said this. He said, I want to tell you what Jesus is like. He could have defined him in all different kinds of ways. He could have called him a king. He could have called him all kinds of stuff. But here's how he defines Jesus' identity. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So how does he see Jesus? He sees him as a rescuer. He sees him as a savior. He sees him as an unselfish, powerful, present God. He sees him as one who goes in and breaks enemy stuff, right? He said, wait, wait, if I'm going to talk about who Jesus is to me, I'm going to talk about his incredible love that, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That when I look at Jesus, I think about the warrior king God who came down and humbled himself into human form and then walked a perfect life to trade his life for ours, walked through a horrific process, dying on the cross to pay for the sins we rightfully did and we should stand up for and we should be condemned for, he stepped in and said, I cannot have my creation apart from me. I cannot have in my love my kids away from me. Therefore, I'm going to go to the most extreme lengths to make sure they're safe. He said, that's how I see my Jesus. Do you see Jesus that way? Because if you do... It's going to result in a different kind of worship. When you come in and we start singing songs and you're going throughout your day and you're just reflecting on God, if you truly believe that that is the Jesus that you serve, you're going to have a different response towards him. Right? He said, and what he did was save us from our sin problem. We were doomed to hell and he was not cool with that. So he made a way. That's called the gospel. All right, he's going to talk about that a lot. He said this, verse 6. I am astonished. I'm shocked. Actually, I'm abhorred, Galatian church, who I planted on my first missionary journey. I understand y'all aren't very long in the Lord. You're all new believers, he said. I get that. But I am shocked that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not like there's really another one, but there are some people out there who will trouble you, who will freak you out, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. A couple things on that. He said, I'm shocked that you would so quickly bail out on the truth that you know. Why would they do that? Why would anyone 
walk away from Christianity. And why would anyone else want you to walk away from Christianity? Why would anyone have a problem with Christianity? Like you go, wait, 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 so what does Christianity teach? Well, Christianity teaches that God totally loves you. Ooh, that's bad. Well, Christianity, it teaches that God became flesh and he made a way to save you from your own sins. Oh, like that's bad. Well, uh, Christianity teaches that he loves you and wants to be present with you and connect with you and he sends his Holy Spirit so that you'd have power to live and, and all this cool stuff, right? So who in the world would be against that? Well, there's more to the story. Christianity is at its very core the antithesis of the world because Christianity also teaches that if he's the king you're not and that's a that's offensive right I mean Christianity also teaches that if he's the king his priority is more important than your priority and that his agenda is more important than your agenda and a lot of people don't like that uh, Christianity teaches that selfishness is an offense to God and yet we're all selfish, so that bothers us. Christianity teaches that we chase after his way and we try to live his lifestyle as opposed to building our own kingdom, and that doesn't sit well with people. Christianity teaches that there's only one way and everybody else wants options because they don't understand what they're talking about. So Christianity is offensive. That's why people don't like it. Now, it's at, heart, at its heart is all love and goodness, but the cost is you losing you. And most people, they're their own favorite person. They don't want to lose themselves. He said, but I'm shocked because I thought we had an agreement. I thought we had an understanding that you were headed one way. I came in and I shared with you the truth of Jesus Christ. And you were like, yes, salvation. Yes, walking with Jesus. Yes, power to live. And now all of a sudden I hear I'm gone. New leadership steps in and they completely screw up everything. What are you doing? But notice how he said it. I think this is fascinating. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting what? What's the word there? Him. Okay, so let me, let me kind of do a little gut punch here. If you walk away from Christianity, you are not walking away from an ideology. You're walking away from a someone. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. Christianity is not a faith like all the other faiths. It's not an ideology like all the other ideologies. It's a dude. It's a guy. It's God. So literally, if you walk away from Christianity, you are saying to a personal God, I don't want you. I don't care what kind of love you have for me. I don't care what you have bought for me. I don't care what you did for me. I don't want you. So let's not play any games about... Well, there's all these faiths and there's all these options. And I just opt to say, no, I think that Buddhism is much more peaceful than Christianity. No, you are rejecting someone. So it's not as lighthearted as we all think it is. Where we can just kind of pick and choose. You know, I used to be really into that Christian thing and then I'm just not into it anymore. You know, oh, you mean that you just shut down God? At least call it what it is. Now, if you say, I didn't abandon Christianity, I'm frustrated with the church and organized religion and all that. Okay, well, at least be clear what you're doing. But don't say, I drop Christianity. In your heart and mind, you don't drop Christianity. Christi you're a Christian because Christianity is legit. You're a Christian because Christianity is truth. You're a Christian because Christianity is reality. That's why you're a Christian. You're not a Christian because it works for you. Because I'm telling you right now, it ain't working for you. 
I don't know what you're going for, but it ain't working for you. So we are Christian for a different reason. But when we became a Christian, we trusted in a person, and we wrapped ourselves up in a person. And so when we walk away, we're walking away from a person, right? So he said, man, you're walking away. You're turning to a different good news. Somebody else is telling you they've got good news, but it's different than the one that Jesus offered. So it's not really good news at all, y'all. Look at verse 8. This is powerful. He said this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Hmm. What was Paul really talking about? What was his context? Remember, the the Bible has a, a primary context, and then we can apply it to stuff. But the context is simply this. Paul said, Jesus has made a way for all men to be saved. And he did so as a gift to you. He did so in his grace. You didn't even know about him. You were anti him, all that stuff. He showed up and saved you in that state. So it's all Jesus. It's all Holy Spirit. It's all God. Right? Now, the resulting life that you live because of that, a lot of that's on you. But I'm just trying to express the salvation, that's all God. It's not grace and anything else. It's just grace. And what the problem he had was other leadership came in, and this is really what happened. These guys walk in, and they look pretty religious, and they look pretty hardcore, and they come into this, this new church, and they go, hey, guys, what's up? Oh, nothing. We just, we're, we're just hanging out doing church. Oh, really? Who planted this church? Paul. Oh, Paul. Yeah, I heard of him. Heard of him. Uh, so what did he say? Well, he told us that we have good news. He told us that God really wants to be with us and that Jesus made a way for us to be connected back to the Lord and that we could live forever with him and that he did that all for us and now we're free. Did he? Did he say that? That's, well, that's nice. That's nice. I, you know, that Paul guy, eh, he's a pretty good guy. Um, here's the thing. I, I don't want to rain on your parade. I'm just saying. Okay, so kind of what Paul said is right, but I, I think he's trying to be a little too sweet for you guys. So let me, let me tell you how it really works. So I'm a Jew, and so I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but the Jews kind of have the corner market on God. <laughs> so we've been, we've, been, uh, we've been hanging with God a really long time. And so God always kind of talks to us. We're actually a people that were designed just for God, right? So, so when we, God has always told us how to do it. And so he created a means by which this stuff would happen. And it goes right through the Jewish people. So here's what I just needed to share with you. Yeah, I appreciate Paul's heart. All I'm saying is that if you really want to be saved, uh, you got to become Jewish. Now, the good news is you have a way to become Jewish. That's great. And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I don't mean to be a jerk, but you're still going to hell. <laughs> you're still going to hell because if you don't become a Jew and do it the right way and to go through the proper things that God expects of you, then ultimately, yeah, Jesus did a lot of cool stuff. I'm not telling you he didn't. What I'm saying is it's not enough. Okay, that's what happened. Now, if you're a brand new Christian and someone comes to you and says, no, you're still going to hell, you're going to freak out. The word there is it says someone's troubling you. That's the same word for the panic the disciples had during the storm on their boat. 
when someone comes in and completely wrecks everything and says you're not saved you freak out and you're like what do i got to do then and you start adding on all the rules and regulations those guys were called judaizers and paul goes that's garbage no we're not doing that i told you that it's grace and if you mess with grace too much it's not grace anymore so stop with the whole, I do this and I'm saved. Okay, no, God saved you and now you kind of live in that freedom. But this whole, you earned your salvation, you work for yourself, that's all garbage. Stop doing that. So Paul says, even if an angel teaches you a different gospel. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just trying to be accurate. Uh, some people say and scholars say he was exaggerating he was using hyperbole i don't know if that's true here's why joseph smith the founder of mormonism some people say oh he's a bad guy he was always a bad guy he led people astray on purpose maybe i don't know the guy i wasn't there he could have been the nicest guy in the world that had the best intentions of the world and was super sweet and wanted to do kind things but he says that one day he was walking through the forest and, and God showed up to him and an angel showed up to him and shared with him a message. All I'm going to tell you is that when Paul wrote this, he meant what he said. I don't care who comes to you. So I don't care what kind of spiritual experience you've had. I don't care what other stuff. If it's a different gospel than the one Jesus Christ laid down in Scripture, it's bogus. Right? It does not speak to the kindness or the intention. It does not speak to the heart. It doesn't speak to any of that stuff. In no way am I giving disrespect to Joseph Smith. I'm simply telling you the truth, which is even if everything he said is accurate, then he got played. That's what I'm telling you, right? Okay, so we move on. He closes it out with this. He said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I wouldn't be a slave of Christ. Meaning Christianity is not going to make me popular. It's not getting me stuff in that way. If I was really trying to become popular, I wouldn't be a Christian. So let me explain just the heart of it and we'll close it out. Grace versus works. Grace. Do we have the concept of a gift from God, the undeserved favor of God, the rescue of God? Do we have that locked as part of our identity? I am a Christian because God rescued me. Okay, if we lock in grace, then it means something. For example, if you believe that you are living in the grace of God, then there's no concern for performance or acceptance, and you don't have to live exhausted. If you believe that you're in the grace of God, then there's a certain amount of peace. If you believe that you're in the grace of God, there's a lifestyle of gratitude, not entitlement. Right? Because if it was all him, then you live your whole life. Thank you, Lord. If you earned it, you're going to live the whole life. Why? You better give me my reward. I work for this. You understand what I mean? If, if we believe that we're in the grace of God, there's a freedom to live for a new purpose. And that's partnership with God and living out the obligation of love. There's a lot of different opinions out there. I'm just trying to get back to the core. Right? The core is it's grace. And it's going to begin with grace, and it's going to end with grace, and that's why you're saved. And when it's grace, there's freedom. Please don't let anyone steal that from you. 
you must guard that and don't let yourself slip out. Because if you find yourself living a Christian life of performance and you're wiped out and you're exhausted because you're trying and trying and trying, you keep going, oh my gosh, my mind keeps going wrong and I'm completely distorted and sin keeps wrecking me and, and I'm not the person I should be and all that, you're right. But that's not how you got saved in the first place. And it's not how you're saved today. The sheer grace and kindness of God swept you off your feet. Amen? Amen. Could I have the prayer team come on up as we close? Here's the, here's the thing. I am going to pray, as I normally do, this altar and this prayer team would be anointed to be able to be God's conduit of ministering to you today. So there are a bunch of you that came in today and God wants to just reconcile some stuff, fix some stuff. Maybe, maybe it's even a, an identity shift. Maybe they need to pray over your identity. Maybe there's a matter of you're going, you know what, I keep doing the performance thing and I can't get out of it. It was what was baked into me in my home. Maybe you were raised up in a religious environment that told you unless you do these things, you will not be saved. I don't know what it is, but whatever garbage is still hanging on to your identity, if there's any distrust in the Lord, if there's any of that stuff, maybe we need to just leave it on the altar and then go home free. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to pray for that. In the same way, God has other great gifts for his kids. So even though it's not on topic, you may need to just come up here and get prayed for for something else. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's joy. I don't know. Maybe it's relationships. But I, I want to pray just also for everyone watching online. I don't know if you know, y'all, how many hundreds of people are still with us and they're just not in the building. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them too. All right? So let's just pray as we close out. Heavenly Father, we have sat under your word. We believe that your way is right. Your truth is right. We're trying to discern what that is. Holy Spirit, we have sat in your presence. That even while we have been sitting, worshiping you, wondering about a million things, listening to the message, engaging with the word, fellowshipping before, even in the midst of all that, Holy Spirit, you are moving forward. You're touching us, you're healing us, you're fixing us. You're transforming us. You're renewing us. So I just want to give you praise right now for everything we see and everything we don't see. I want to praise you right now, God, for that which you are in process of, which later on we're going to figure out and we're going to go, oh, I wish I would have thanked you earlier. God, you are good. You are trustworthy. That, Father, that you are the one on the throne, that you're the one in control, and Holy Spirit, that you're the one present in our lives, and we want to give you glory. Father, I ask that you would anoint. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd be present in this place in a mighty way, especially at the altar. Lord, that you would anoint each and every prayer team member to be that divine appointment. That, Lord, that all of us that are here, that you drew here for prayer, that, Father, we would get those prayers up here and it would set off a chain of events so that your will is done. Father, I pray right now for all that are live streaming. Lord, whatever healing needs to occur and happen right here, right now in their lives, in their bodies, 
in their relationships, in their minds. Father, I just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would release your healing power into every home represented right now. And God, I pray that this would be a place of joy. I pray that this would be a place of transformation. And I pray that this would be holy ground in glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.